Welcome to another episode of Insight with IO. Today we are with the lovely Jamelia Donaldson, the actual founder of Treasure Tress and the Teen Experience, well, co-founder of Teen Experience. Why don't you introduce yourself? You've done a great job. <laughs> 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 My name is Jamelia Donaldson. By day, I'm founder CEO of Treasure Tress. I also co-founded the Teen Experience with Simone Powderly, which is a series of personal development workshops for black and mixed-race teen girls between the ages of 12 and 19 years. Um, outside of that, I spend a lot of time with friends, family, and I just really care about building connections with people. Amazing. So, of course, there's so much to talk about on this episode, but what I wanted to start with is, tell us why you started Treasure Tress and how you did it. So for everyone listening, it's Treasure Tress, not Treasure Chest. for a few different reasons. One reason being I've always loved hair and when I was in university I decided to stop straightening my hair and just see what my natural hair was like and as a result of that I spent a lot of money buying products from the US on Amazon and getting it shipped to the UK. Wow. So as a student I was paying like £80 to ship products over. I did not have £80. Just for the shipping alone? No, for the products and oh. the shipping but realistically they were lasting me like a month, maybe a month and a half so it just wasn't really worth it. So there was a problem of accessibility to quality products that we just didn't have in the UK. And alongside that, the buying, buying and consumer experience when we were buying products was just horrific because um, the shops are owned by Asian men, the lighting is really dim, the products are dusty. It's just not a nice, it's just not a nice experience. So I was frustrated by that as well. Um, second to that, I would say my brother and his then girlfriend were expecting a child. And she was a girl and I was like, oh, amazing, I'm gonna have a niece. But one thing that stood out for me was I didn't want my niece to come into this world and think there was something wrong with her hair. Mm. I wanted natural hair to be very normal to her. And like wash day to be normal, managing her hair really normal. And so initially when I started Treasure Trust, a lot of the focus was on young girls for that reason, because I wanted young black girls, young mixed race girls to know that their hair's fine how it is. It doesn't need to be changed. And it's just so versatile, they can do so many things with it. Um, so I would say that's practically it, like my, the fact that I noticed that there was an issue with accessibility to quality products in the UK, the fact that I was on my own hair journey and finally because I had a niece on the way and I didn't want her to feel like she wasn't beautiful because she didn't look like the white girls with short hair, which mm. when I was growing up I thought that white girls were like the thing, like I thought that they looked amazing, I thought their hair was so nice and then my hair just wouldn't do the things that they would do and I'd get really frustrated. So I wanted her to know that she's beautiful, the way she is, natural hair is normal, and it can be enjoyed. Amazing. I mean, I'm sure a lot of women out there are so grateful for your contribution to so. the world right now. So that's <laughs> why you did it. Now let's go into the more difficult part, the how. So from reading up on you, um, you, you know, you're pretty much like everyone else. You know, you had your own dreams and ambitions. However, you also have parents. Now, parents' dreams and ambitions seem to uh, superside um, your own. So it's like they kind of take priority and precedent. So how did you balance the two? Were you going to go uni if it was left to you? Or was that a, a parental thing for you? I thought that um, uni was, I just thought it was the thing that you do. Like you go to school, you go to college, then you go to university, then you got a job. So it was just a very linear path for me. So I didn't really ever challenge it. I was like, why not? Like, I like traveling, I like living away from home. Let me go, let me experience new people, let me build a new 
So university was very normal for me. Um, but saying that my older brother didn't go to university, but we're two completely different types of learners. He's really, really intelligent, but he's more hands-on. Whereas I was more book, book spot. So for me, it was like, yeah, of course I'm going to go to university, why not? Um, and like my older friends have gone to university, so I, I kind of knew what it was going to be like. So yeah, going to university was something I was going to do regardless. I think the career path that I took was a bit more, I think that was more influenced by my parents. Because even the degree that I wanted to study at university, like I didn't actually intend on studying business, I intended on studying law. And I decided to do the International Baccalaureate as opposed to A-levels. And as a result of that, I had to study seven subjects instead of four. Um, And as a result of that, (laughs) um, one of the subjects was French, and I didn't do as well as I thought I was going to do, which meant that I didn't get the number that I needed. So I needed 34 points to get in, and I got 32 points. And I was, like, distraught. I thought it was the end of the world. I thought my life was ruined. My best friend literally had to calm me down (laughs) and be like, it's not the end of the world, Julie. It will actually be fine. So at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to study something else. I don't want to change the university that I'm going to because my mind is really set on it. So then I decided to do business and international relations. Why why did you choose that out of everything? You could have, you know, you wanted to do law, mm. didn't do law. Um, you know, you could have stayed in, you could have done economics, you could have done accounting and finance, you could have picked anything. Why? Yeah. Why that one? It was a very basic, uninformed decision. The decision was based <laughs> on the fact that international relations had the word international in it. And the traveling aspect. And I thought, great, this is going to be great. I'll learn about international affairs, but I'll also get to travel. And that was that's a big passion of mine. Like I really care about traveling and seeing the world. So that, that was it. And I thought business, like how hard can that be? Like, sure. <laughs> so I studied I studied it for that reason and that reason only. Nice. So then how the birth of treasure chest came into play? Um it it, it was a long time coming. So as I when I tell the story, I'm able to like join the dots and be like, oh, this happened and then that happened it all came together to form it but when I was studying I all of my friends done um, consulting jobs or like jobs in financial services but I said I didn't want to do that I said that I definitely wanted to do my placement here abroad so me and one of my best friends we were like whatever we do we're going to go to New York for our placement here we don't know what we're going to do when we get to New York we don't really care we just want to be in New York so I took a job in fashion PR she took a job in theatre production and um, we'd done our internships there and we were just happy to be in the city of New York. That's all that really cared. That's all we really cared about. Um, so we had a great time, like, literally one of the best periods of my life. But while I was there, I started to notice that there was this new craze for subscription boxes. Like there were subscription boxes for sweets, dog food, razors. In America, there were ones for black women and black hair, black makeup. And then I looked at the UK and we didn't have anything. And I was like, oh, once again, we don't have stuff that cater to black people. Mm. So that was where the seed was planted. After I'd done that internship, I came back to London and I had a month before I had to go back to university. And I had not been paid for my internship in New York. And before I went to New York, I went to Beijing and I also was not paid there. So I've been practically working for free for a year. So where I had that extra month, I was like, okay, whatever I do, I need to go and earn some money. Mm. So I remember scrolling through like one of those grad sites and I saw a placement at BlackRock and it was for a month and I was like, perfect, I've got a month, let me apply for it. Business operations, don't know what that means, but I mean, I'm sure if I study hard enough, I I can get through the um, interview. 
And I, I've never studied so hard for an interview in all my life because I was so out of my depth because my family don't come from, I don't know anyone that works for financial services. Like my mum's a, my mum was a head teacher. She's now part retired. My dad's a bus driver. So I don't have anyone that I could have turned to for advice. Mm. Um, so then I had that interview, it went really, really well. They really liked me. So then I'd done the internship with them for one month and then they asked me to stay for another month and then they offered me the grad position as well. Mm. So in final year, I was a happy lady because I already had my <laughs> grad job filled while everyone else was still scrambling. Um, and then while I was at BlackRock, I really enjoyed it because it introduced me to some really intelligent people and a completely different way of life that I was completely alien to me and people that I wouldn't interact with on a day to day. So I learned a lot, but I felt like there was something inside of me that was like, I wanted to do something more creative and like, I don't know, I just wanted to do something more creative and linked to something that I care a lot about and I care a lot about hair and beauty. Mm. But in my mind, I was like, how, how can I do that without being a hairstylist, which my mum said I really can't be. <laughs> um, <laughs> Your mum told you to rather own the shop. Own then. the salon, but do not be a hairstylist. But she's wise. Uh, I don't know, because hairstylists can earn some serious money. It just depends how good at your craft you are. But your mum was thinking of the hairstylist has to be present and has to do to earn. Mm. The owner of the salon doesn't have to be present and can be travelling all year round and will forever earn. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that was her rationale, but at the time I didn't appreciate it because I really like hair. <laughs> I don't blame you. So, um, so, what was I saying? So, okay, oh, I forgot. I've lost my train of thought. So, um, you met the different types of people. Different types of people, was really enjoying it, but something in me was like, you need to do something different that like keeps you, makes you feel alive and like excites you. So I remember when that first came, I was like, all right, I had a conversation with my mum and with my dad and I was like, look, no, I had it with my mum. And I was like, I'm gonna quit my job and I'm gonna start the business that I've been thinking about, which is Treasure Trust, it's a subscription box for natural hair. She was like, okay, like, <laughs> literally like she was choking. Okay. <laughs> And then before I knew it, she had like told her friends and my aunties and they were ringing me like, Jamelia, I heard that you want to quit your job. You know, you're in such a good position. You've got a really good salary. If I was you, I'd just stay where you are. And then maybe you think about it for a few years and leave. And like everyone else's input was just, mm. it was just too overwhelming. And I just listened to them and I delayed it. And wow. then um, a year later, I was like having anxiety attacks because I was so frustrated and I couldn't identify what it was, but what it was was the fact that I was doing stuff, I was living my life for other people, not for myself. Mm. And so it just got too frustrating. And I was like, there's, there's this great idea that I want to do. I want to do it before someone else does it, but I feel like I'm not doing it because of the advice of other women who I really respect them, I really love them, but I don't want my life to look like this. So I've got to take their advice with a pinch of salt. So then um, I quit. I handed in my notice. I gave them three months notice instead of one because I needed to save my money. <laughs> and because I wanted to make sure that there was a smooth handover between me and the person that takes over. And then I told my family two days before my last day. So and there was no time for them to change their mind and all of that. No. And even like, so the night before you were gonna, or the night before you handed in your resignation, mm -hmm. was it like how Kevin Hart, was gonna tell his teacher that his mom told her that my mom told me to tell you. <laughs> so you tell yourself that, look guys, I got a big day tomorrow. <laughs> I can't talk, I'm gonna bed. <laughs> no, I feel like I was so mentally prepared for it because I had had effectively a year to prepare for it. And my fiance was the person that was like, Jamelia, 
if you want if you want to change something you can and like you're not happy in this job and you're capable of building your own business to go ahead and do it so where I had like his support and I'd mentally prepared myself I don't even remember what the lead up to it was like I remember the day after and it was like my first day out of work and I was like what the hell do I do like how do I manage my time like what do I work on first because now I have all this time but I don't know what to do with it. Mm. So I don't remember the lead up to handing in my notice. I remember the meeting itself and my manager was like, oh, we're really shocked. Really enjoyed you being here. Like, what are you going to go on to do? I told him and that was it really. But did, you, that, some, did you say something like, the door's always open? Um, yeah, yeah. Of <laughs> <laughs> um, And then I just remember like the day, the week, the months after, and I was trying to figure out what I was doing. And I was like, this, this is hard. Like. I don't know what to do first, but I have so much to do. So yeah, that's the part that stands out for the journey. Well, that's the part of the journey that stands out the most for me when I think back. Wow. So, I mean, it's a good thing that you told them two days before, so they didn't have time to mm-hmm. convince you otherwise. So now, when it, you know, when you actually handed in your resignation and they saw that right, it's for real. Mm-hmm. How did your family and aunties and people around you take that? Um. My dad's very like old school Caribbean man. Like, just do whatever makes you happy. It's fine. <laughs> um, whereas my mum was like, just a lot of questions. But I think also she was in shock, and she and she just kept saying that like she doesn't know what that experience is like, but she knows what working life is like. So she can advise me on that, but she can't advise me on what I'm about to do. But I didn't want anyone's advice. Like, I wanted to figure it out for myself. So. No one really said anything. And I think no one really said anything because they didn't want to say the wrong thing. And I guess they also didn't want to be that person that was trying to talk me out of it for it to actually be a success. So, yeah, no, I don't really remember anyone saying anything. My older brother and my younger brother were like, yeah, you can do it. Like, you got this. Nice. So you had people that were silent Mm -hmm. and people that were supportive. So you Mm -hmm. didn't have anyone that was like, nah, you've made the wrong choice. This isn't going to work. Why do you think it's going to work? No. I think maybe because of my character, like if someone said that to me, I just wouldn't have it. Like it just wouldn't even be worth the conversation with me. So I didn't have any of that. Nice. It's quite different. Um, mm-hmm. Nowadays on social media, people that haven't even started their business are already talking about um, haters that are either there or not there, you know. Yeah, it's what you give attention to, right? And like where you direct your energy and I just don't direct my energy there. So I don't hear it. Maybe it is said, but it goes over my head. Fair enough. So, like, um, what advice would you give people that would say, oh, you know, they're still finding themselves, they don't know what Mm -hmm. to do, and, you know, they might have an idea that they think is great, and like yours, it could actually really be good if they follow through with it, but they they don't know what to do at that stage. You've got to test the idea, and you've definitely got to test the idea before you leave. I don't know. Let me not say that. I decided to test my idea <laughs> before I left my financial safety blanket because safety net, sorry. I already had customers. I already had paying customers and I already knew how much I was going to earn every month. Not, I wouldn't actually earn anything. I know how much the business, business was going to make. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> um, so I would say test the idea, test it again with strangers, launch. And personally for me, what worked best was running the two in parallel until we got to the point where I couldn't anymore. Like I physically could not continue to run treasure trust and go to BlackRock every single day. Like, it just wouldn't work. And when you say you couldn't, was that on a financial basis? Because some people will say things like, for example, right, when my business or my side hustle makes 
two times, mm. three times, four times my, you know, full-time job, yeah. then I'll quit. Like, what was the the factors that you said, right, when it becomes like this, then I know it's time? I didn't set, I didn't set, like, didn't a financial set target. I just listened to my body and I looked <laughs> mash up. Like, I, was, I had lost so much weight. I had, like, massive bags under my eyes. Like, I wasn't looking nice to go to work. I just... I was miserable all the time because I was shattered. Like after work, I was working in treasure chest. Weekends, I was packing boxes. Weekends, I was at the post office doing customer service in my lunch break. Like it was just, it just wasn't sustainable. Mm. And so I had to have a conversation like, Jamelia, this is, this is like a turning point here. Either you take the risk on yourself or you stay in this job for the rest of your, for the rest of your life and decide how you navigate it from there. So for me, yeah, it just got to a point where I had to have a really serious conversation with myself. Like, do you want to risk it now? You're 23, not much to lose. Or do you want to wait and have regrets? And I decided that I didn't want to have any regrets. Nice. And of course, on this season, um, everyone I'm talking to is about relationships and business. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there's different relationships and how they affect mm-hmm. it. Some people say you can't do business with family. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, you know, their relationship with their spouse or, you know, it affects their business. What's mm-hmm. your standpoint like? Did having a fiance before starting your business was that positive for you? Was that did it have a negative effect? What, um, what would you say personally? Personally, he was actually my boyfriend at the time, but he had a massive impact. Like at every step, he I would say was one of the most was one of the biggest driving forces. Like initially, encouraging me to rethink what I'm doing and the way that I live my life. Mm. then <laughs> after that step when it came to launching he's actually the one that built my website for me so he literally physically helped me launch the business um and then to this day he's an entrepreneur as well which is great of course he is. sometimes <laughs> but sometimes it's not like sometimes it's not ideal because we're our schedules are very but he gets it i get him i can give him advice he can give me advice so in my opinion it works in my favor I don't know what it would like we always say that if I was still in corporate we're not sure if we would still we would have got as far as we have because it was like the person that you were becoming was horrible like you were tired you were moany we weren't spending quality time together because you didn't have any time I didn't have any time and I just felt beat up because I was run down so I wasn't I wasn't a pleasure to be around so yeah he's like one of the biggest driving forces I'd say nice and in terms of business and friends mm-hmm. that's a that's also another one now mm-hmm. like a lot of people feel like the more successful you get in business the more friends you lose the more business orientated you are the more friends you're going to lose there's always like a negative spin mm-hmm. with business and friends for you did you see that you were losing friends friends were becoming more and more distant or were they like you know really supportive and involved i don't want to make this sound like a fairy tale but, but my friends <laughs> are the best friends in the world. Like from my first event, my friends were in the t-shirts helping me out to my most recent event, which was 2019 due to COVID. They were in t-shirts helping me out. Like my friend has even told me that for the pop-up shop in November, she's already booked time off work so she can come and help. So my friends are riders. Um, but I do think the way people treat you definitely changes. And I think sometimes you like I don't want to say success because it's all relative and to the individual, it can be yeah. it can sound a bit narcissistic but I don't mean it in that way but like your success can actually intimidate other people and cause them to look at themselves 
and they won't like what they see when they look at themselves. So That's then they'll start business. to have, but they can be start to be resentful. So I, I can't say that for my friends, but there's definitely been certain relationships that I think have changed because the person feels a bit intimidated or I don't know, they feel like they should be doing more. And I don't know, it can change the dynamic of a lot of different relationships, but as for me, my friendships have literally kept me going and have been a really essential source of strength because without them, I don't know what I'd be doing. It's good. So it just means that people need to reevaluate their friendships and pick their friends then. I mean, again, I don't want to say... <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, you need to say I said it. I said it. There we go. Yeah, but I my friends, <laughs> like, my friends are lifetime friends. My best friend, we've been friends since we were two. So I don't even feel like I strategically picked her. I feel like she was genuinely placed in my life for a reason. Mm. And yeah, she's, she's my Cody. All of them are my Cody's. Nice. And of course, I have to ask, because I like to keep it real. Mm-hmm. When you started making more money here, did your friends start having more um, extravagant Christmas lists? <laughs> <laughs> no. To be fair, I was already earning good money in finance. So nothing really changed. Changed. They're still the same. To be honest, something did change. I was earning less money because when I launched, <laughs> I didn't pay myself for like a year and a half. So, yeah, the expectations aren't high, really. Fair. And um, of course, I have to ask, in terms of your boxes, mm-hmm. now there's lots of girls that are going to listen to this and be like, there are certain products that they wish could be in the box every single time. Yes. So they have like a, they, they have, I'm sure, about a selection of, I wish this was just yes. the box 24-7. Yes. Why is that not the case? And how do you go about choosing who becomes a member of the Treasure Chest box? So, Treasure Chest is a product discovery box. The idea Q is that discovery. You... Discovery. <laughs> okay, let me repeat that. Product <laughs> discovery. It can be products that are new on the market, products that are already on the market, products that you think of for white people. But the idea is that you try stuff that you wouldn't typically try, or you try the new releases, or we get the new releases before they hit the shops. So the idea is that you find what works for you. There's a lot of things that we're doing to make sure that if you find what you like, we can continue to supply that. And one short-term fix is the fact that we sell the cream of nature, aloe and that castor oil products on our website now. So you can buy that again directly. Um, But at the core and as a starting point, Treasure Trust is a product discovery box, which means that you get to discover new products. Um, But I would definitely say watch this space to find out how we can continue to cater to women that have found what they like. Okay. So I think that answers it for them. Because I'm sure like sometimes a box comes out and it's like, Mm -hmm. it's just so, it's like, I just hope this is the box for next month. And then next month comes and it's like, this isn't what I wanted. So... When are they going to put back this product then? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the thing is, we can't repeat products because oh. we've experimented with things. We've repeated products and people have been like, I've received this before. Like, honestly, one day I think I might do an insight into the customer service emails that we get because they're mad. Yeah, that, that sounds like a, a good part two episode. <laughs> but some people will be like, I've had this product before, I don't want it. The whole reason why I'm with Treasure Trust is because I want to discover new things, which is fair because that's what we promised. So... Yeah, you would be surprised. It's impossible to please everyone. Mm, I hope they listen and see, because I'm sure people are just thinking, you're just saying, you know what, I'm going to hold um, um, as I am and my own for myself and this, that. And there's honestly so much myself. There's so much that goes into it. And something that I definitely want to speak more about is black hair products. Mm. The ones in America, the brands that we all love, they have to go through, they have to meet certain legal requirements for us to be able to work with them. 
they have to be able to meet certain legal requirements for them to be held sold in hair shops but they don't always but the hair shops get away with it oh. treasure trust as a black owned business we can't do that because there will be repercussions and it won't be the same repercussion that the hair shops get. Yes. So I would say people definitely need to be patient with black owned businesses, especially in the cosmetic space, because there's so much red tape that you wouldn't even, you're, you would be so shocked to understand how deep it gets. Mm. And the amount of work that we have to do to make sure that we get quality products that are brands that people love, um, it, it's a lot of hard work. It's really a lot of hard work. So I would say just be mindful that any products that you see, we are going to get them eventually, but those brands need to go through all of the testing and get all the certifications that they need for us to be able to work with them. And as I said, as a black business, like some hair shops, they can they can play around with the law. As a black owned business, mm. I can't do that. Because it's, they're going to come down harder and faster on you. The, okay. They're going to scrutinize more mm-hmm. everything. So uh, now people know that it's not as simple as click and collect on Amazon, okay? It's not. It's now, not. You know. now, now you know why you didn't get that product twice, okay? Mm. But what they can do, people can help. Like, it's not a one-sided thing. Be all up in their comment section telling them to put their products in the treasure chest box. DM them, tell them to put their products in the treasure chest box. And put pressure on them to do what they need to do to get the product sold legally. Legally, being the key word, in Europe. <laughs> cool. And finally... Um, the teen experience. Yes. Um, you, you seem like someone that's benefited a lot from, you know, mentors and, mm-hmm. and the internships that you had. Yeah. Was that like the reason why you decided to be part of the teen experience? Yeah, there's quite a few different things. So initially the concept for the teen experience came because I was going to all of these natural hair events and it was like women my age. And then I was hosting mini me tea parties for young girls like my niece. But then I realized when I was a teen, I used to go to youth club, but now there's no youth club for teens. So I was like, what happens to the girls that are too old to go to the mini meet afternoon tea and too young to go to the hair shows? And I was like, there's there's a big gap there. We should do something. So then I emailed a lot of the bloggers that I worked with through Treasure Chest and I was like, hey, I've got this concept, want you to host a workshop. And then I sent that same email to Simone and we actually didn't know each other at the time. We'd just seen each other at events. And she was like, yeah, sure, come and meet me. We'll talk about it. And she was like, actually, I don't want to just do a workshop. Like, I want to help you build out this concept because I think it's sick. So since then, we just built out workshops. And for me, I wanted to do it, one, because there was that gap. Like, what happens to teen girls, especially black and mixed race teen girls, who are kind of just left to figure out life, but society doesn't treat them the same as their peers. Mm. But then also, um, as I said, my group of friends have literally carried me. So what happens to the girls that find it difficult to find friends or the girls that are the only black girl in their school? Like, how do they find their sisters? Mm. And so I wanted the teen experience to be a place where young girls can come, find friends, learn new skills, build a network and also have fun. And I can genuinely say that it's done that. Like, to the last workshops that we had before COVID, um, <laughs> the girls were coming. I remember these girls coming to the teen experience when they were like 13. And they're like 16 now and they're like traveling to the teen experience together and after they're going out and it's like, oh, you got proper friends, isn't it? <laughs> it's so cute. Um, so yeah, it was just about connecting, like creating a space for black and mixed race girls because otherwise, where do they go? Mm. Who takes care of them? Who teaches them? Like who tells them the truth about what really happens? So it was important for us to facilitate those conversations. Amazing. And um, I mean, you said a lot of, insightful things so a lot of people are learning taking back all their hate and kissing of teeth about their boxes and with that i hope people actually enjoy their boxes because <laughs> as i said <laughs> now i'm sure they do that's why they subscribe isn't it this is it 
But like, what would be the one thing that you want everyone that listens to this episode to take away when it comes to, you know, them going after their dreams or if they have an idea mm-hmm. and they want to start, but they're hesitant or fearful for any particular reason? Um, I think I sometimes repeat a very unpopular opinion a lot, but I do it for a reason. Um, I think that there is this like hype and glamour around entrepreneurship that I don't think it actually deserves because entrepreneurship is not glamorous. Like it is extremely hard. And I think it can be attractive for the wrong reasons. Like what's attractive about entrepreneurship is that you can create something that you wish existed. You can create a service, you can create a product that the world actually needs and that's actually going to help people. And I think that that needs to be the driving force for anything that you do. Like it should be about service. It should be about helping people and helping people looks various different ways. Like all of my friends help people, but some of them are head of years. Some of them are, they work in their family business, but at the end of the day, they're helping people. So I think that when we think about entrepreneurship or starting a business, we should think of it, we should think more about impact. Like we should think about what's the impact that I'm having and what's the best way for me to make this impact? Because the best way for you to make an impact probably isn't to, I'm looking at this product here, food. Um, The best impact for you probably isn't to create another energy drink. Like maybe your strength would lie in you joining food and adding value and driving that business forward. So I think it just, I think we should like, push our ego to the side and just think about the bigger picture and what we actually want for society and then how we can add to that rather than just wanting to add founder CEO in your signature and on LinkedIn. Amazing. There's nothing else to say after that. Thank you, Jamila. It's been amazing speaking to you. Thank you guys, especially for the commute because the route you took was mad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm sure there'll definitely be a part two Mm -hmm. about the treasure tress um, customer service yes. emails. Yes. <laughs> oh, and before we go, one interesting fact in 20 seconds. Oh my gosh. I know. Um, oh gosh, that is pressure. <laughs> one interesting fact about me. About you. You might not even find out. They might have to wait till the next episode. My mind's gone.